You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for today's live stream. We're so grateful that we can still gather together even when it's not in person. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Lance and I'm on the teaching team here at Calvary. And today we want to begin a new series from the Old Testament book of Jonah. And when I hear the name Jonah, I think Sunday school, children's story, veggie tales. Some people think fairy tale, myth, legend, one big fish story. Truth be told, it is more than a fish story. The historical account of Jonah's life, written almost 2,500 years ago, serves as a powerful example of struggle, surrender, and ultimately second chances. Not only for us as individuals, but also for people we believe have nothing in common with us. Jonah is packed with important lessons that parallel, I believe, the current state of our country. And I would prayerfully ask that you listen this morning with an open heart and an open mind. If you could choose one word, one emotion that describes the climate of America right now, what would it be? I'll let you think on that a moment. Your word may be a little bit different than mine, but as I pondered that thought this week, I came up with this word, angry. I mean, everywhere I look, everyone just seems angry. Last night, my daughter was telling me a story of what happened at her work earlier in the day where two women in the middle of the grocery store where her bank was got in a big argument because one thought the other cut them in the line everybody's angry. We don't even have to turn on the TV. We just have to look all around us. Everyone is upset. But I'm not going to sit here this morning and point fingers. Truth be told, I've been struggling with a lot of anger lately. I'm actually looking for a support group. I know we have AA and NA, but I'm looking for DA, Drivers Anonymous. I have an hour commute one way to work every day. Most days, I spend upwards of four hours in the car. Pray for me. The challenge of road rage is real. People going slow in the fast lane makes me mad. Not using their blinkers, not stopping at stop signs not giving the courtesy wave. You know what I mean? Hey, I just let you go. I did something nice. Wave! Where's the wave? And I know what you're thinking. He wasn't kidding. He really does need prayer. But what comforts me is I think we all struggle with anger in some areas of our life. At least the thought of that makes me feel better. But let me be a little bit more transparent this morning. You know where I've really been struggling lately? A lot of what is going on in our country today makes me angry. I would say for the most part, I'm a very non-political person. 
And I would say people who know me well would agree with that. But as I watch the news and scan the internet and drive around neighborhoods, honestly, I can feel my blood boiling. Now, don't get nervous. This isn't going to be a political message or me telling you who to vote for. That's a very personal decision. I'm just trying to be honest this morning. I'm angry. There seems to be such a double standard in the media today. One moment we're championing one woman on a court, the next minute we're dragging her successor through the mud. No one seems to understand the definition of tolerance. It really makes me angry when people don't respect or appreciate our military, especially now with my own daughter in basic training. It makes me mad that a president doesn't always act presidential. When a court redefines the sacredness of marriage that we see right in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, a nation that seems to care more about dolphins than babies, that type of stuff, it makes me angry. When my body, my choice works for abortion, but not a mask, is that not infuriating? A society that doesn't seem to make the connection between mass violence and a devaluing of life that we made almost 50 years ago. It makes me angry. People who don't think all lives matter. People who don't think blue lives matter. People who don't think black lives matter. When we are not outraged by oppression and mistreatment and injustice, that makes me angry. The vilification of Christians and the church, the absolute lack of morality in our culture, and our inability to work together and find common ground on anything. I don't know about you, but that makes me angry. All of this and so much more. Honestly, I could give you a lot more things. I do have anger issues. Maybe I'm an anger ish, angry bird and you may get that reference. But I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. Although we may differ on the specific issues of our anger, although on some we may be on the opposite side. I had thinking this week this verse with all this anger going on inside of me psalm 94 says "O lord god of vengeance O god of vengeance shine forth rise up O judge of the earth repay to the proud what they deserve O lord how long shall the wicked how long shall the wicked exalt they pour out their arrogant words all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O oh Lord, and afflict your heritage. And I think when I hear that and I feel my own anger, I kind of ask the question, God, how long are you going to put up with all this nonsense? Rise up, God. God of vengeance. God of judgment. We know God gets angry at sin. The Bible is clear on this issue. The book of Romans in the first chapter says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. People are making a mockery of God, and inside me I just feel that enough is enough. Just one day of wrath, one day of something we can see. 
to restore the fear of God. How about some good old-fashioned Old Testament justice? How about some Sodom and Gomorrah lightning strike? Or what about a little Egyptian justice, plagues, and a death angel? What about when Korah rebelled and the earth opened up and swallowed them? Mock a preacher? Man, let the bears come storming out of the woods and just kill them. And again, I know you're thinking, the pandemic is making him lose his mind. Obviously, I'm exaggerating, at least a little. Maybe you'll have some grace for my hyperbole, but the wickedness of our nation the outright spitting in the face of God. It makes me mad. Maybe someone can relate to me on some level. It would be comforting to know I'm not totally alone. At least I know Jonah, if not you, can empathize with me. He was God's messenger in the 5th century BC. Actually, he was a prophet. And a prophet was someone who was a mouthpiece or a spokesman. Jonah spoke on behalf of God to the nation of Israel and for the nation of Israel. And the book that bears his name records it. And beginning in the first two verses of Jonah, it says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Jonah was given a specific message, a strong message. Go to Nineveh and pronounce judgment. And if you were to flip forward to the third chapter in verse four, his message was 40 days. You have 40 days and then destruction is gonna come upon this city, upon this nation. God wanted to judge and destroy Nineveh for their wickedness. Well, according to Genesis chapter 10, Nineveh was founded by a man named Nimrod. Nimrod was actually the great grandson of Noah. He was a mighty hunter and a warrior. And that heart actually built the city, the country of, of Nineveh and Assyria because Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And maybe you're not really familiar with your BC history. I'll be honest, I wasn't. I had to study it. But from 1200 BC to 620 BC, the dominant world power was Assyria, which Nineveh was the capital of. So for six centuries, they ruled that world with an iron fist. Their evil empire at the time numbered 600,000 in strength. And they were surrounded by an impregnable fortress with both an outer wall and an inner wall. 50 feet wide and 100 feet high. And it measured, get this, 90 miles in circumference. And from that fortress, they forged fear for not just decades, but centuries. One of their most famous leaders was a man named Tiglath-Pileser, who conquered 42 countries in his lifetime. And he used a tried and true measure in every one of those countries. Go in, number one, 
kill all the men. Number two, make all the, the young boys slaves. And number three, make sex objects of all the women. He was evil. He was ruthless. One of their other leaders from the history books of 875 BC wrote this, I built a pillar over against his gate and I flayed all the chief men and I covered the pillar with their skins. This is the type of people that we're talking about in the city of Nineveh. He goes on to say, some I impaled upon the pillar of stakes, many captives I burned with fire. From some I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from others I cut off their, cut off their noses, their ears, and of many I put out their eyes. This was an evil, wicked, ruthless nation that ruled for 600 years, and they were also the sworn enemy of Israel, the nation that Jonah was a prophet for. You know, if a Jewish man entered the city of Nineveh and he was found, his head would be put on the city wall. And not only were they the sworn enemy of Israel, but it was prophesied by another prophet during that time, a man named Amos, that Assyria, this very wicked nation, would actually be used as an instrument to bring judgment to Israel themselves. So this wicked nation was going to judge and bring judgment on God's people, the nation of Israel. They were going to pronounce judgment on God's people. So let me summarize because I want you to stay with me, because what we're going to talk about next is really important. Israel was wicked. Assyria was wicked. Assyria was an instrument of punishment to Israel. And Jonah was called to proclaim their destruction. Jonah was called to put an end to their evil reign. Don't you think this would be a message he would have wanted to love to deliver? Judgment on evil people, not just on evil people, but the people who were also prophesied to bring judgment on Israel. Don't you think he would have been excited to deliver that message? Well, Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 says this, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went in the opposite direction and he went fast and he went far. He was in Joppa to get to Nineveh. It was 700 miles, a little over that. He ended up in Tarshish, 3,000 miles away. He wasn't delayed. He wasn't detoured. He wasn't derailed. He ran. Why did Jonah run in the opposite direction from a people he probably hated that he wanted them to be judged? Why? Was it fear? Were they ruthless? Were they powerful? Would they put his head on a wall? Listen, Jonah was going to be a prophet, and Assyria was a non-profit nation. He didn't want to become a headstone. So why did he run? Why did he go four times farther in the opposite direction? Most of us would think it was fear, but it wasn't fear. We have to skip to the end of the book to answer that question. And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, 
this chain change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Jonah got mad, probably madder than I am right now, probably madder than some of you are, because something changed that made him really angry. Well, what changed? I mean, Jonah eventually did make it to Nineveh. He preached judgment. If you read through the book, which we're going to look at in the coming weeks, for three days he called out these words, doom and destruction, doom and destruction. You guys are going to fry everything you've done to others, to us, to Israel. Here comes karma. It's payback time. But how did Assyria, this evil, wicked nation that had brutalized the world for six centuries, how did they respond? What did Nineveh do? Well, the Bible says they repented. They asked God to have mercy and forgive them for all of their evil, for all of their wickedness. And they did it in one of the most powerful, beautiful, humble displays that is seen in all of the scriptures. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. When God saw their response, uh, he didn't light them up. He didn't destroy them. So it begs the question, because this change of plan, as we just read, this repentance was actually what made Jonah run at first. It's actually what made him angry. It wasn't fear that made him run. It wasn't God's order or God's mission that made him angry. Listen to what made him angry. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. Why did he run? Why was Jonah angry? He was angry because God didn't destroy them. He didn't destroy them in their wickedness. You know why he ran it first and you know why he was angry now? Because he knew the kind of God that God is. He knew that he would show mercy and unfailing love. It goes on in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 to say this, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Why did Jonah run away? Why didn't he want to be God's messenger? Why was he angry? Get this. He knew God was merciful and compassionate. And that made him angry. He knew God was merciful and compassionate. But more importantly, he knew that he was not. He wanted them judged. He wanted them destroyed. He wanted them to pay for their points of view and their wickedness. Jonah wasn't tolerant. Jonah would rather see Nineveh destroyed than have an opportunity to know God. 
I listened to this book countless times this week driving around in my car. And one question wouldn't escape me. And this is it. Am I Jonah? Am I so angry at all the wickedness around me? Am I so upset at the liberal worldly agenda that I don't agree with? Do I long for his return so much? Because I hear everybody saying he's going to return. But is it because I don't want to deal with these people anymore? Do I sit around and criticize and troll instead of pray? Am I more apathetic and angry than active? Would I rather see judgment triumph over mercy? And in case you didn't know, that's the opposite of how that verse is written in Romans chapter 2. Would I rather see judgment triumph over mercy? It's a difficult question. Am I Jonah? But what about you? Are you Jonah? Are you too busy being angry at the wickedness and injustice in the world than to really be God's messenger? We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. As the world gets darker, and if you think it's dark now, it's going to get darker. We don't shrink back. We shine brighter. Listen, God never called us to be the judges of humanity. We're not the moral police of society. We're not even the political voice of reason. We are messengers. And we are messengers of grace and truth. We come to the world just like Jesus did. And we do it with love. Second Peter chapter 3 says... They will say, where is the promise of his coming? People are going to start saying, why isn't he coming back? Why isn't he coming back? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You know what that means? The world is wicked and it's getting more wicked. And the Christians are saying, when's he going to come back? And you know what God's answer is to that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, not even the most wicked of the wicked, but that all should reach repentance. You know what the point of Jonah, the book of Jonah is? It's not for us to argue the possibility of a fish and a man in three days. That's just a subtle distraction, honestly. The point of Jonah is to show us what kind of heart we're supposed to have for people that are different than us, for people that we think are wicked or are lost. That's the point of the book of Jonah. What is our heart? Jonah teaches us about the type of heart we should have for the people in Washington, D.C. It teaches us about the heart of people we should have in Pittsburgh. It teaches us about the heart of people who have a different political sign on their yard than we might have on our yard. The book of Jonah teaches us the kind of heart that we should have for our country. Listen, God is calling us to be messengers, to be prophets in a non-profit world. Do we love 
love what God loves? Do we love who God loves? Most importantly, do we love the way God loves? How are we going to continue to respond to a city that God has put around us? How are we going to respond to the calling of God to be good neighbors, but not just to be good neighbors, but to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and as we're called to love our God, even though they don't agree with us, even though they don't think like us, even though they don't speak even though they may speak evil about us, even though they don't do anything like us. How are we going to respond? What does Jonah teach us? Jonah teaches us about the heart of God. That even in his own anger, even at his looking at how things were different and wicked and not the way that he wanted, Jonah teaches us that before messengers can speak for God, they have to have the heart of God. So the big question as we close today, are you Jonah? Am I Jonah? Let's pray. Father, today, I thank you for this book. And I thank you that it's more than just a fish story. I thank you that it's not relegated to Sunday school classes from days going old. It's a book about your heart. It's a book about how you love people and are willing to give them a second chance even in their wickedness and even in your own anger. And God, today, I pray for every person that listens to this. Maybe it's Saturday or Sunday or later in the week, God, that they God would answer that question. They would look inside and they would ask themselves, do I have Jonah's heart or do I have God's heart? Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us, God, to love the way you do, to show grace the way you do, and to stand up for truth God, thank you for your word, for the way that it speaks to us and challenges us and ultimately changes us. And God, this month, I pray that you would help us to be your messengers, your prophets in a nonprofit world. And we pray this in your name and everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is going to be an exciting month. We're really hoping to be back together again in person. But this week, especially this week, with everything that we know is going to happen, see through the eyes of God. Don't be Jonah. Be like Jesus. God bless you guys. Have a great week. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. 
On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 